0: This episode of the MedBullets Step 1 podcast will go over the topic of ischemic stroke from the neurology section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 60-year-old woman is immediately brought to the emergency department due to slurred speech and right arm and leg weakness. The patient was eating breakfast with her husband prior to developing these symptoms. Her husband denies his wife having any head trauma or recent surgeries. It has been one hour since her symptoms began. Medical history is significant for hypertension and type 2 diabetes mellitus. On physical exam, the patient can comprehend, but speech is impaired. There is 0 out of 5 strength in both right, upper, and lower extremities. Non-contrast computerized tomography, or CT, of the head does not show any intracranial bleeds. After further evaluation, she was started on intravenous tPA. Now let's get into the episode. As an introduction, the clinical definition of an ischemic stroke is a sudden loss of blood supply to an area of the brain leading to a neurologic deficit and the deficit depends on which area of the brain is affected. With respect to the epidemiology, the incidence of ischemic stroke is the third leading cause of death in the United States. Risk factors include hypertension, diabetes, smoking, atrial fibrillation, mechanical valves, valvular abnormalities, patent foramen ovale, significant decreased ejection fraction hypercoagulable state, family history, and prior history of stroke and or vascular disease. The pathogenesis involves decreased blood supply to a region of the brain for enough time to result in infarcted cerebral tissue, otherwise known as liquefactive necrosis. The most vulnerable to ischemic hypoxia is the hippocampus. After five minutes, irreversible neuronal damage occurs. Causes of this decreased blood supply include embolic infarction and thrombotic infarction. Embolic infarction is a clot typically from one region of the body that travels in the bloodstream and occludes a vessel supplying the brain. Consider in cases of sudden neurologic deficit where maximal neurologic deficit occurs at onset. Know that large vessel infarcts are commonly due to an embolism. A thrombotic infarction is a clot that is locally formed in the wall of the blood vessel, usually where an atherosclerotic plaque is found. Thrombotic infarctions typically have a stuttering course. Now let's talk about large versus small vessel infarcts. In large vessel infarcts, this can include occlusion of the major blood vessels such as the middle cerebral artery, and occlusion is most often caused by emboli. In terms of small vessel infarcts, occlusion of the small penetrating arteries that supply the deep cerebral structures such as the basal ganglia, thalamus, and internal capsule occur. These are sometimes called lacunar infarcts. Now let's talk about the different ischemic stroke syndromes we'll talk about anterior circulation strokes and posterior circulation strokes. Examples of anterior circulation strokes include middle cerebral artery or MCA stroke, anterior cerebral artery or ACA stroke, and lenticulostriate artery stroke. So starting with middle cerebral artery or MCA stroke, symptoms include contralateral weakness and sensory loss in the face and upper limb. Other symptoms include hemi-neglect if the non-dominant hemisphere is involved. Another common symptom is aphasia, specifically Broca's aphasia if the superior division of the MCA is involved in the dominant hemisphere, or Wernicke's aphasia if the inferior division of the MCA is involved in the dominant hemisphere. This may also result in a right superior quadrant visual field defect. As far as lesion localization, motor and sensory cortices are distributed by the MCA. An MCA stroke will also involve Wernicke's or Broca's area. Moving on to anterior cerebral artery or ACA stroke, Symptoms include contralateral weakness and sensory loss in the lower extremity. As far as lesion location, motor and sensory cortices are supplied by the anterior cerebral artery or the ACA. Finally, moving on to a lenticulostriate artery stroke, symptoms include contralateral weakness and sensory loss in the face and the body in the absence of cortical signs, for example neglect. Some important comments to mention about lenticulostriate artery strokes is that the lenticulostriate area is a common site of lacunar infarcts, secondary to chronic hypertension, leading to lipohyalinosis. Now let's talk about posterior circulation strokes. We'll talk about medial medullary or degerine syndrome, lateral medullary or Wallenberg syndrome, lateral pontine syndrome, locked-in syndrome, and posterior cerebral artery or PCA occlusion. Medial medullary or degerine syndrome is secondary to occlusion of the paramedian branches of the anterior spinal artery and or the vertebral artery. Symptoms include the triad of ipsilateral hypoglossal palsy, contralateral hemiparesis, and contralateral lemniscal sensory loss, for example proprioception. As far as lesion localization, medial medullary or degerine syndrome affects the lateral corticospinal tract, the caudal medulla, and the medial lemniscus. Moving on to lateral medullary or Wallenberg syndrome, this is secondary to occlusion of the posterior inferior cerebellar artery or pica or the vertebral artery. Symptoms can include dysphagia, hoarseness, decreased gag reflex, vertigo, and decreased pain and temperature sensation of the ipsilateral face and contralateral body. Other symptoms can include Horner syndrome and or ataxia. As far as lesion localization, lateral medullary or Wallenberg syndrome will affect the lateral medulla involving the nucleus ambiguous, vestibular nuclei, lateral spinothalamic tract, spinal trigeminal nucleus, and sympathetic fibers. The lesion can also be located in the inferior cerebellar peduncle. Moving on to lateral pontine syndrome, this is secondary to anterior inferior cerebellar artery occlusion. Symptoms include facial paralysis, decreased salivation, lacrimation, and taste from the anterior two-thirds of the tongue. Other symptoms can include vertigo and decreased pain and temperature sensation of the ipsilateral face and contralateral body. Other symptoms can include ipsilateral Horner syndrome and ataxia. As far as lesion localization, lateral pontine syndrome, of course, occurs in the lateral pons involving the facial nucleus, vestibular nuclei, spinothalamic tract, spinal trigeminal nucleus, and sympathetic fibers. The lesion can also be localized to the middle and inferior cerebellar peduncle. Moving on to locked in syndrome, this is secondary to occlusion of the basilar artery. Symptoms include quadriplegia, bulbar manifestations, the ability to perform vertical eye movements, and preserve consciousness. Lesion localization includes the vertical pons, lower midbrain, and medulla, affecting the corticospinal and corticobulbar tracts, as well as the oculomotor nerve nuclei and paramedian pontine reticular formation. Finally, posterior cerebral artery or PCA occlusion. Symptoms of posterior cerebellar artery or PCA occlusion include contralateral hemianopsia with macular sparing. Lesion localization is the occipital lobe. Moving on to imaging, A non-contrast head CT should be performed in patients presenting with symptoms concerning for stroke and to exclude intracerebral hemorrhage. CT angiography should be performed to assess for a thrombus and to evaluate the carotid and vertebral neck arteries. As far as magnetic resonance imaging, indications include MRI-MRA, which can aid in assessing infarct volume for further management. Other studies include labs like a CBC, basic metabolic panel, prothrombin time, partial thromboplastin time, and cardiac enzymes. Now let's go over the histology with respect to time after the ischemic event and the corresponding histologic findings. So at 12 to 24 hours, you will see a red neuron in which the cytoplasm is eosinophilic, the nuclei is pycnotic, there is cell body shrinkage, and loss of nissal substance. At one to three days, you will see tissue necrosis and neutrophilic infiltration. At three to five days, you will see macrophage or microglial infiltration. At 1-2 weeks, you will see reactive gliosis and vascular proliferation. At greater than 2 weeks, you will see a glial scar. The differential diagnosis for an ischemic stroke includes transient ischemic attack and a hemorrhagic stroke. The key distinguishing factors between a transient ischemic attack and an ischemic stroke is that in a transient ischemic attack or TIA, there is no evidence of infarction on brain imaging. Symptoms are transient and completely resolve after the event. Keep in mind that a transient ischemic attack is a major risk factor for ischemic stroke in the future. Treatment of a TIA or transient ischemic attack includes lifestyle modification and medical treatment like aspirin, statins, antihypertensives, and glycemic control to reduce future ischemic stroke risk. Treatment of an ischemic stroke can be medical or operative. Medical treatments include intravenous TPA, which is indicated for use in patients presenting with stroke symptoms, excluded to have an intracranial hemorrhage, and time since symptom onset is within the last three to four and a half hours. Operative options include mechanical thrombectomy, which is indicated for use in patients presenting with stroke symptoms, excluded to have an intracerebral hemorrhage, and a proximal large artery occlusion involving the anterior circulation, whether or not the patient received TPA. It's also indicated when the time since symptom onset is within the last eight hours. Complications of an ischemic stroke include intracerebral hemorrhage, seizures, and aspiration pneumonia. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, a 59-year-old woman with a past medical history of atrial fibrillation currently on warfarin presents to the emergency department for acute onset dizziness. She was watching TV in the living room when she suddenly felt the room spin around her as she was getting up to go to the bathroom. She denies any fever, weight loss, chest pain, palpitations, shortness of breath, lightheadedness, or pain, but reports difficulty walking and hiccups. A physical examination is significant for rotatory nystagmus and decreased pinprick sensation throughout her left side. A magnetic resonance image, or MRI, of the head is obtained and shows ischemic changes of the right lateral medulla. What other symptoms would you expect to find in this patient? And the choices are 1. Decreased gag reflex 2. Language impairment 3. Left-sided tongue deviation 4. Paralysis of the right lower limb and 5. Right-sided facial paralysis The correct answer to this question is 1. Decreased gag reflex So this patient has lateral medullary or Wallenberg syndrome as demonstrated by her vertigo, rotary nystagmus, and decreased pain sensation in the setting of ischemic changes in the lateral medulla on MRI. Other symptoms characteristic of lateral medullary syndrome include decreased gag reflex. Lateral medullary syndrome is a result of an acute ischemic infarct of the lateral medulla oblongata located in the brainstem. It is most commonly due to occlusion of the posterior inferior cerebellar artery, or pica, a part of the posterior circulation of the brain. Patients may present with a variety of complaints due to the various neural nuclei that may be affected. Common presentation includes nausea slash vomiting, vertigo, nystagmus, decreased pain and temperature sensation from the contralateral body and ipsilateral face, autonomic dysfunctions, and ataxia. It is worth noting that nucleus ambiguous effects, which include dysphagia, hoarseness, and decreased gag reflex are specific to pica lesions. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, language impairment or aphasia is usually present in strokes that affect the language centers of the brain, that is Wernicke and Broca's area, which are supplied by the middle cerebral artery. Answer 3, left-sided tone deviation is seen in strokes in the caudal medulla, which is supplied by the anterior spinal artery. Answer four, paralysis of the right lower limb can be seen in strokes involving the motor cortices or the internal capsule, both of which are supplied by the anterior circulation. And finally, answer five, right-sided facial paralysis deviation is seen in strokes that involve the facial nucleus located at the lateral pons. To leave you with a bullet summary, lateral medullary syndrome can present as vertigo, nystagmus, decreased pain and temperature sensation, dysphagia, and decreased gag reflex. Moving on to the next question. A 65-year-old man presents to the emergency department with three hours of weakness. He was cleaning his living room when he experienced sudden onset left-sided arm and leg weakness and numbness. His wife says that he seemed confused and was not able to get words out. An ambulance was called, but all of the symptoms had resolved by the time the patient arrived at the emergency department. He has a past medical history of coronary artery disease and hypertension, and he's on lisinopril and hydrochlorothiazide. He smokes two packs of cigarettes per day and drinks socially on the weekends. On exam, temperature is 99 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.2 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 177 over 92 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 88 per minute and regular and respirations are 12 per minute. Neurologic exam is within normal limits. Non-contrast computerized tomography or CT scan shows no acute intracranial abnormality. What is the most appropriate next step in management? And the choices are 1. Administer intravenous tissue plasminogen activator. 2. Admission for intravascular mechanical thrombectomy. 3. Begin aspirin and atorvastatin. 4. Begin daily apixaban. And 5. Recommend smoking cessation only. The correct answer to this question is 3. Begin aspirin and atorvastatin. So this 65-year-old smoker with a history of coronary artery disease and hypertension who presents with a several-hour history of now-resolved neurologic deficits that is left-sided weakness and aphasia, suffered a transient ischemic attack or TIA. This patient should be started on aspirin and a statin such as atorvastatin in order to reduce his risk of ischemic stroke. Patients with TIA experience stroke symptoms that resolve without intervention. TIAs are caused by intermittent insufficient blood flow to an area of the brain imaging of the brain will often show no abnormalities, and patients will not have residual deficits. However, TIA is a risk factor for ischemic stroke, and patients should be both counseled on lifestyle modification and be started on medications to reduce their risk. These interventions will be aimed at achieving better blood pressure control and glycemic control. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer one, tissue plasminogen activator or TPA is recommended for patients with ischemic stroke who present within three to 4.5 hours of symptom onset. While this patient presented within that window, the resolution of his symptoms is more suggestive of TIA than ischemic stroke. Answer two, mechanical thrombectomy is recommended for patients with ischemic stroke who present outside of the 3 to 4.5 hour window after symptom onset and who have an identifiable target thrombus on magnetic resonance angiogram or MRA. This patient does not require mechanical thrombectomy because he had a TIA, not an ischemic stroke. Answer four, beginning daily apixaban is reasonable in patients who present with a TIA and are found to have new onset atrial fibrillation. However, this patient's regular pulse makes an atrial embolus an unlikely cause of his TIA. And finally, answer 5, this patient should receive counseling on smoking cessation, but he should also be started on aspirin and a statin such as atorvastatin. Smoking cessation only would be insufficient management. To leave you with a bullet summary, a transient ischemic attack presents as transient neurologic deficits in a patient with risk factors for ischemic stroke and is treated by minimizing future ischemic stroke with lifestyle modifications, aspirin, and statins. And moving on to the final question, a 78-year-old woman presents to the emergency department with sudden onset neurologic symptoms. She states that she suddenly felt strange, thus prompting her presentation. She endorses an ongoing headache. The patient has a past medical history of hypertension, diabetes, and atherosclerosis. Her temperature is 97.6 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.4 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 177 over 91 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 90 per minute. Respirations are 15 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. Physical exam is notable for numbness on the patient's left lower face. The patient's headache improves with the administration of acetaminophen. She has decreased pain and temperature sensation on the right side of her body. She demonstrates an ataxic gait when walking to the bathroom. Her gag reflex is not present as well. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? And the choices are 1. Anterior Cerebral Artery Territory Infarct 2. Hemiplegic Migraine 3. Middle Cerebral Artery Territory Infarct 4. Posterior Inferior Cerebellar Artery Territory Infarct and five, vertebral basilar insufficiency. The correct answer to this question is four posterior inferior cerebellar artery territory infarct. So this patient is presenting with sudden onset numbness on her lower face, decreased pain/slash temperature sensation on the right side of her body, ataxia, and an absent gag reflex, which are concerning for lateral medullary syndrome or Wallenberg syndrome. This is caused by a left posterior inferior cerebellar artery territory infarct in this patient. So to quickly review, lateral medullary syndrome occurs when there is an infarct of the territory supplied by the posterior inferior cerebellar artery, or pica. Presenting symptoms include a contralateral loss of pain-slash-temperature sensation from the involvement of the spinothalamic tract, a central Horner syndrome that is ipsilateral from descending hypothalamic tract involvement, and an absent gag reflex with trouble swallowing caused by dysfunction of cranial nerves 9 and 10 lateral medullary syndrome can cause vertigo. The vertigo of a cerebellar infarct is constant, results in ataxia, does not change with changes in head position as compared to peripheral causes of vertigo, and is generally more severe when compared to vestibular neuritis slash labyrinthitis. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer one, anterior cerebral artery territory infarct will present with notable lower extremity weakness that is contralateral to the lesion, mild upper extremity weakness that is contralateral, as well as personality changes and urinary incontinence. Answer two, hemiplegic migraine presents with a headache and stroke-like symptoms, which may include slurring of a patient's speech, focal weakness, or visual changes. It is paramount to consider stroke in these patients. However, a notable feature of a hemiplegic migraine is neurological symptoms that improve as the headache improves. Answer three, middle cerebral artery territory infarct presents with profound upper extremity weakness that is contralateral, Speech deficits like aphasia or dysarthria are common in a left middle cerebral artery infarct and hemineglect, in particular when a right middle cerebral artery infarct is present. And finally, answer 5, vertebrobasilar insufficiency presents with vertigo, nausea slash vomiting, syncope, nystagmus, dysarthria, dystonia, and an ataxic gait. Findings are often bilateral in vertebrobasilar artery insufficiency. To leave you with a bullet summary, lateral medullary syndrome or Wallenberg syndrome occurs secondary to a posterior inferior cerebellar vessel territory infarct and presents with contralateral pain slash temperature sensation loss, a central Horner syndrome, and an absent gag reflex. That's all for this review about ischemic stroke. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 1 podcast so far, please consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.